Welcome back to the Fantasy Baseball Buds podcast. We are recording on July 3rd, which is Saturday, so we may miss a few of the news and updates for Sunday's games before we release this on Monday. We are going to be going over newest injuries today, prospect news. Richie and I are going to be recapping the first part of the season for prospects 1 through 10. We're going to talk a little bit about the All-Star Games leading vote-getters, which, of course, this year was Vlad Jr., Otani, Tatis, kind of their outlook moving forward in Dynasty Leagues, as well as their production second half. And we are going to start off our show today, actually, by talking about the very troublesome Trevor Bauer allegations, how it relates to fantasy, what expectations may be for Bauer the rest of this season moving into next year. But first, I'm joined by my co-host, Richie Franz, as always. Richie, what's going on? And uh, let's kick this Bauer off, right? Like, what, are you, what are your feelings? Yeah, I was shocked to hear the news. Um, although Trevor Bauer is a weird kind of guy, so it, it didn't shock me that it was him out of all people. Um, I think that is the headline here, uh, regardless of what other things happen in baseball across the world. Um, it's interesting to see because he didn't necessarily deny the allegations. He actually was recorded um, by the police making a phone call to the woman saying he's sorry and offered her money. And there's text messages saying he never meant to hurt her. And even with the seven-day um, suspension or administrative leave by MLB, he didn't even argue it. He just said, you know, to stop shedding light on it. Um, he's just going to accept it. So, you know, in these other situations, domestic abuse um, and other sexual assault allegations, the person's usually fighting it. In this case, he's not doing so. So I don't know if this is going to work out in his favor or not. I personally don't think it's going to bode well for him, but I guess we'll see. Um, yeah. What so are your initial thoughts on this? I think first and foremost, you know, you're losing a top five pitcher from your fantasy team, right? But fantasy aside, like this is a severe issue. We've seen domestic violence from Marcelo Zuno with very troubling allegations. We've seen issues with Aroldis Chapman and a number of other players in this league. And from the most part, Major League Baseball hasn't really come down with an iron fist up until Ozuno. I think the Trevor Bauer case will be a very interesting case to follow. I think Bauer's probably done for this year. I'm really under the interpretation that not only might he be done this year, but he might have his contract voided. I'm not really sure how things have been written in that contract, but this is a bad look for not only baseball, but the Dodgers as well. With Roberts coming out this past week and saying they were going to start him on Sunday either way. And then Major League Baseball leaving this seven-day, essentially, um, administrative, administrative leave. I think Bauer's done for this year. I don't expect to see him back. I think the only way we see this really come out to a, a place where Bauer could possibly be back for fantasy playoffs is if this comes out and Bauer says, hey, I'm going to pay a settlement. I'll take a 30 to 60 day suspension, which still leaves him back by September. Um, but I could see this ultimately ending Trevor Bauer's major league career. Um, I don't think teams are going to want to be associated with Trevor Bauer. I think if he does continue this this process of acceptance, right, because from his perspective, this was consensual and he looks at it like, you know, I was a little too, quote unquote, rough, I'm assuming. Um, I just I really don't feel that you can look for Trevor Bauer the rest of 2021 and in all honesty, 2022 Dynasty Leagues, if you're holding him, I think you have to wait until this offseason to see how things play out. But we roster him in a dynasty league. I know you roster him in two leagues. We have a close friend that rosters him 
him in our dynasty league itself. Um, I, I think at this point you have to look at Trevor Bauer as maybe outside the top 60 going into next year because that expectation just can't be that he's going to pitch. I'm expecting jail time. Yeah, I watched an article, uh, oh, not an article, but a video clip by Barstool, the one-minute man. He does a lot of segments on uh, pop culture and news, and he kind of goes in-depth uh, based on an article by The Athletic. And his big takeaway in that was, you know, regardless if it's consensual, regardless if he's sorry, um, the acts are still against the law. He still penetrated when a woman was unconscious and still left bruises and gave a woman a concussion, which is still considered assault regardless if she consented to it or not. And so it doesn't matter whose feelings were hurt. That still breaks the law. And the fact that he's not denying it and pretty much confessing is kind of the the number one rule that like defense attorneys tell their clients is never um, confess, never admit um, guilt, and that you should ask for a lawyer, which did not happen in this case. So I'm fearful for that. If I'm a Bauer owner like I am, I am um, waiting and holding um, and praying for the best because um, it doesn't look good and it doesn't help that Trevor Bauer is also kind of the poster child, if you will, for this sticky substance that just came out. So I don't think that bodes well for him, but it's one of those wait and see approaches. I don't know how the MLB is going to handle it. I think they might wait until the ML or until the police investigation is over and settled with, but I wouldn't be surprised if he just keeps getting his administrative leave extended until that is over. Yeah, well, and they can, I think they can extend the administrative leave for seven more games after the current seven games. I think 14 days is the longest before they have to make an executive decision based on suspension or let them play. I think this police investigation could go on for quite some time. Um, it came out this week, obviously, that they're extending that investigation itself. And I'm also wondering, are more women going to come forward? Are women in, in Cincinnati and women in Cleveland going to come forward, right, that maybe weren't as comfortable before or maybe just didn't have the strength to come out? Are they going to come out and say, you know, Trevor Bauer did the same thing to them? Um, I'm flat out disgusted by Trevor Bauer. Uh, I haven't been a fan of Trevor Bauer, obviously, as I've talked about in this podcast forever. Um, I think he's a despicable human being, and I would love to see him out of the game. I think at this point, as you said, he's the poster boy for cheating in Major League Baseball. Now he's the poster boy for domestic abuse um, and sexual allegations. I think Trevor Bauer's Major League career might be over, um, and I'm kind of hoping it is. It's time for Major League Baseball, for the NFL, for the NBA to take a hard stance on this kind of behavior. Again, whether it was consensual or not, like you're now being investigated by the police for these allegations. Uh, I look to see him done for 2021, done for 2022. Maybe he goes to a team 2023 if he's there. Maybe the Dodgers bring him back next year. But as far as a fantasy owner, um, I, I don't want any part of him anymore. Um, obviously, we share a league. If we didn't share a league, I'd be dropping him just out of out of pure respect for the nature. Um, and, you know, if, if you're a fantasy owner, I think you're right. You sit you sit tight. But if you're kind of like me, just drop him. You know, let it, let him walk. But do you have any more to add to the Trevor Bauer situation, or should we move on to actual baseball news? No, I think we can move on. All right, so we are going to move into injuries here. We had a big injury, I think it was today or yesterday. Uh, Obviously, Kyle Schwarber has been steaming hot. He's been playing at an absolute crazy level. He did have a severe hamstring strain. 
He had an MRI done. He will be out a significant amount of time. So it's very sad to see he was on such a hot streak. He has slowed down over the last couple of days, but obviously an amazing June. He will be on the shelf for a while. Zach Gallen has been placed on the 10-day IL with right hamstring strain. Um, you know, it sounds like Zach Allen's just going to have one of those seasons where he's, he's hampered by injuries. Who knows if that hamstring strain was in partly due to the fact that he has been, you know, um, kind of aiding that arm and that arm injury. Michael Brantley left Saturday's game with a right side discomfort. Uh, we'll kind of have to see and monitor that if he goes on the IL or if he's just down for a few days. Josh Donaldson also left the game with a hamstring injury, another thing that's hampered him. And Corbin Burns left with a knee injury after a pitch in which he torqued it a little bit wrong. Um, Richie, you're an owner of a couple of these guys. What is your thought process on these? What injury do you think is the biggest detriment to fantasy owners? I think the biggest one is Kyle Schwarber. If you had him, he was, you know, keeping you afloat, whether you're in roto or categories, he was helping you in power in points. I mean, home runs are a gold mine to have. So Losing that, even though it was only over the past two, three weeks, is significant. Kind of gives you a, a glimpse into the future, thinking that you might have found a replacement that you were looking for. Michael Brantley, you know, I traded him a couple weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago now, after he had, you know, leg soreness and then went on the IL for it. And I was just like, oh, great, here we go. Michael Brantley again. It's going to be injury-ridden season all over again. And then he came back and was just on fire batting over 500, and now he's out again with right side discomfort. So it's sad to see, but then it just reminds me this is what Michael Brantley is, kind of like Anthony Rendon. You know, they're going to be uh, on a tear, and then they'll hit the IL, be out, and then they'll take a little time to readjust. The one I'm, I'm monitoring more closely is the Corbin Burns one. You know, they're saying he's still slated to pitch next uh, turn, but I wouldn't be surprised with the All-Star break as they just skip it and just say, you know what, we're going to let you um, heal up through the All-Star break and uh, monitor your innings as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see that and he doesn't come back until the All-Star break. Yeah, and I mean, as you mentioned, Corbin Burns is going to be on this innings cap. I think you and I both are very curious to see how that shakes out in the second half of the year. They're going to have to do it with Woodruff and Peralta as well, right? I mean, everyone in this league only played 60-plus games last year, so all of these pitchers that are dominating or performing really well and are you know haven't had the injury stretch where they're still going to be pitching 200 and 220 innings, you're going to have to cut that down. I, I think preseason, we said 150 to 180 was kind of our expectation for a lot of these guys. And I mean, Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns, you know, they're going to be approaching that by the middle of August at this point. So the Brewers on such a hot streak with them having an eight game lead in the central. I think you're spot on with that. Give him some time to rest. He did have the injury slash the COVID issue earlier in the year. So that kind of cut out a few of his starts, which was good for his long-term longevity. But man, this is going to be hard come fantasy playoffs. We're going to have a lot of guys that we are relying on right now, taking a step back, maybe losing a start, maybe losing two starts if you play in a two-week playoff series. Um, I, again, I think you have to continue to manage your teams with the emphasis of winning now. And, you know, if there are pitchers on the market that you can toss on your bench to hopefully circumvent that Corbin Burns innings cap, definitely do it while you can, because it is coming sooner rather than later. Moving on, we have our prospect news. 
So Richie and I are going to touch on a little bit of the prospects around the league in the past week, what they've been doing, and then we're actually going to dive into prospects 1 through 10 in Major League Baseball. But kicking it off, we have Estevan Floral for the Yankees. He is starting to get locked in. His year numbers are not fantastic. He's hitting below 250 in AAA. He did have a very small stint with the Yankees, but he is on a seven-game hitting streak right now in the minor leagues. The Rockies, Mike Ruff, had a 4K inning, so four strikeouts on one inning uh, was on a pass ball, allowing him to get that four strikeout. Kind of cool news. Noel Garcia coming off player of the week, broke up a no-hitter this week with a seventh inning towering home run. He is hitting 309 now in the minor leagues. Julio Rodriguez, who we will also be talking about here in a little bit, hit his first double-A home run. Kybert Ruiz, the Dodgers' big-time up-and-coming catching prospect, hit his 10th home run of the year in AAA. He's on fire right now. Kind of a, a log jam, though, at the catcher position. They do have Will Smith at the major league level. Possibly Ruiz could be trade bait, or he could possibly share time with Smith. Griffin Conine hit his 16th home run of the year in high A. This is another son of a former major leaguer, Jeff Conine, who was playing for the Marlins. He is in the Blue Jays organization, probably going to be getting a call to double A sooner rather than later. We have Cespedes, the younger brother of Ioannis, hitting has three home runs now in 11 games in high A. He is 23. He's in the White Sox organization. He was signed last year in their international signing. I would expect him to move through the minor leagues pretty quickly, um, but he will have to prove himself. O'Neill Cruz for the Pittsburgh Pirates, starting off hot in AA. He has 34 runs scored, 29 RBIs. We have a few more to mention, but Richie, what do you think of the guys that I mentioned? Uh, kind of hit on a few of them and let me know your thoughts. Yeah, the first one that sticks out to me is Yoliqui Cespedes. I know I butchered his name, but anytime one of these international signings start to play I get excited regardless if he's 23 and high A I like to see that he's got three home runs right off the bat you know he kind of similar to Cespedes um, I watched his home run most recent home run and it just looked smooth just went over a big fence that maybe was 50 feet high so that was nice to see it wasn't one of those you know little dinkers that just barely made it across Kybert Ruiz, somebody who's been hyped up, um, actually had better pet, uh, prospect pedigree than Will Smith. So it's good to see him hitting home runs in AAA, and I believe he's batting 297. As you mentioned, he's just absolutely on fire. I wouldn't be surprised, like you said, if uh, he shares time with Will Smith. I don't see the Dodgers uh, trading him unless something major comes out with this Bauer situation and they say, hey, we need to go get a pitcher here. Um, the Mike Ruff, uh, did you mention the 4K inning? He had four strikeouts in one inning because one of his strikeouts passed a player and then um, he had to extend another uh, batter. So he actually got four strikeouts in one inning. However, he's not doing too well in high A. He's got a ERA over four. So not much to see there, but something to, to point out. Um, other than that, that's the big takeaways for me. I know Julio Rodriguez will t uh, touch on here in a little bit. So I'll wait on that. Yeah, and I, I really do believe that uh, Kybert Ruiz is probably the next line of this amazing catching prospects group we have with Adelie Rutschman, you know, Joey Bart as well. 
I think we're going to have a really good showing from some of these guys in the next few years. I'm really hoping that Will Smith doesn't hold back the ability for development for uh, Ruiz. We've seen that with Will Smith himself with sharing time over in the last few years. Will Smith should be a guy starting 130 to 140 games a year. And that's just not the case. I think you have the perfect pairing in Ruiz and Smith in LA. You know, you get both of these guys 80 to 90 games. You maybe start a couple of them at DH when they're playing in interleague games. Um, and next year, we might actually have the league-wide DH. So that would give Ruiz more time to play as well. I think, obviously, he's offensive first. But when you talk about Dodgers prospects that have panned out, you know, it, it's, it's less than we expect. Um, Gavin Lux hasn't been there yet. Will Smith kind of came out of nowhere. You have Dustin May's injury. Tony Gonsolin has been uh, hot and cold. So Ruiz might definitely come up later this season and provide a little bit of impact off that bench. Moving on, we do have Marco Luciano news. He is leading low A with 13 home runs. The average is not where we would like to see it yet, but the power definitely is. Luciano is proving to be that power first shortstop. He is still young. He's under 20, so he's going to have time to develop his overall game. Spencer Torkelson, again, we will talk about him in a moment, but he did hit his fourth double-A home run. And my goodness, he looks like a professional baseball player out there. He's bigger than everybody else. His swing is smooth. It's complex in a way that allows him to launch the ball. He has a lot of talent. Again, I expect to see him in AAA to end this year. Um, we have a big-time player that Richie and I have not actually followed throughout this season, and that is Jose Miranda. Did I pronounce that right, Richie? I think it's Miranda or Miranda. Mar- yeah. But he is a Twins prospect. He was moved up to AAA. He is a third base prospect. His season slash line is 357 average, 16 home runs. His OPS is at 1.041. He hit three home runs in his AAA debut. He is 23 years old, so a little bit older for a AAA prospect that hasn't broke the major leagues, but at the same time kind of ready to come up. I haven't known anything about this guy. His season slash line is truly incredible. Uh, I want to talk about him in just a moment. We have two more names. Hunter Green is now up to 81 Ks and 54 and one-third innings, continuing to roll. And Jared Kelnick has 10 extra base hits since being sent down, so he's starting to get back on a little bit of a roll himself. Richie, what do you think of these big-time names that I just mentioned? Yeah, I want to touch on Jose Miranda first. He's absolutely killing it. I wouldn't be surprised with the Twins if they actually are sellers. There's been rumors that um, Josh Donaldson might be moved. But at the trade deadline, one of the uh, potential buyers was the Toronto Blue Jays, a team he used to be on. So I wouldn't be surprised if they uh, let Miranda come up. He is 23, so I wouldn't let, be surprised they'll let him uh, see what he's got before, um, you know, you know, figuring out re-signing somebody else in free agency. Torkelson, like you said, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he breaches the majors by the end of the year. Um, you know, get that little cup of tea in September. Marco Luciano, I like the home runs. If I'm being honest with myself, I'm a little disappointed that he's not already at high A or double A um, from uh, my standpoint, but that's just me having high expectations. I had similar expectations for Joe Adele before I realized he had a giant hole in his swing and couldn't hit off speed stuff. And uh, I'm really hoping that doesn't happen with Luciano, but like you said, he's still young. He's got time to develop. Um, Hunter Green just throwing absolute gas. Um, but I'd be surprised to see um, if he continues that in the majors. He still has to make sure his secondary stuff is hitting all the marks. 
Well, and also you, he's struggling going deep in games. I think that high velocity is really causing him to just go out there and pitch, get used to the game again, right? This is the first season he's been pitching since he had Tommy John. He's playing absolutely incredibly, but he's going to need to learn to pitch. You know, And I, I think unless the Reds bring him up into being a bullpen role, which Again, as we spoke on last podcast, their bullpen is decimated right now. They are now in second place in the NL Central with them beating the Cubs today. Um, Again, eight games behind the Brewers, a lot of baseball left. They do have a three-game series with Milwaukee right before the All-Star game, and they have actually a three-game series right after the All-Star game. If they can make some uh, leeway with the Brewers, if they can win, say, six out of those um, or excuse me, four or five out of those six games, they may be looking to bring someone up, but I just think Hunter Green's a ways away. Um, and then in terms of Kelnick, we're going to talk about Wander Franco here in a minute, but both of them struggled when they hit the major leagues. And this is something that we often don't talk about with big time prospects. And most of them stick. Most of them hit pretty well enough to stay in the majors, but Kelnick and Franco both have struggled. Uh, I do expect to see Kelnick back in the big league club by August, just because they have already brought him up. There is that ability to bring him back up. But I think this is a good transition point for us. Richie, I want you to start off the prospects 1 through 10 with Wander Franco. You know, he had an amazing first game. He has struggled ever since. I, in my opinion, am concerned that he is probably struggling with the same issue Willie Adamas did. Um, What are your thoughts on Franco's initial start and maybe his minor league numbers and what he's done so far? You know, I didn't even think about the Willie Adamas uh, comp and being able to see the ball. I haven't heard anything, um, and really the other players in Tampa Bay haven't mentioned any of those issues. So it might just be a Willie Adamas thing. I'm more so thinking about um, kind of the Jared Kelnick approach where he feels he needs to put the team on his back, more or less. You know, he started his uh, debut, or was it the second day? Either way, he started out with uh, a three-run homer, which tied the game, which I believe they ended up winning. Um, but then he's kind of been cold. Maybe it's, um, you know, scouts figured out a hole in his swing. Maybe he's just overly aggressive and they're noticing that. Um, but it's to be seen, I still believe... In the talent, I think he can adapt. I think he'll be just fine. If I were you, Matt, I wouldn't be worrying. He is batting 205 right now in the majors, but you saw it saw it at the beginning of the year. He was struggling in the minors and he just needed to, you know, settle in before he figured it out. I think it's the same thing here for the majors. Hopefully it doesn't take him a month and a half and now you're sitting there trying to determine if you should sit him on your bench drop him or you know start him um, as an owner for you I don't I don't think you have that issue I think you'll have other hitters that you can plug and play um, and you can let Wander just sit on your bench until he figures it out well I think Wander is a he's an anomaly in terms of prospects I would even consider him an anomaly in regards to Jared Kelnick Wander Franco is a premier talent he is an Acuna he is a Soto he is such a pure hitter that he's going to find his stride and as you said he's proven in the minor leagues that he makes adjustments that he figures out the league that he's playing in and I think it'll be really interesting for us to monitor his home splits his away splits throughout the rest of the season because from what I've seen over the last week his 10 games outside of his first game so his nine games he's actually hit and performed better on the road 
And if this is something that we see from Franco for the rest of the season, maybe starting next year, I think it's time that the Rays make a decision as to how to improve that batter's eye in Tampa. That stadium is a piece of shit stadium that has no business being a major league stadium in general. And, I, and I, that, is, that is shared by most baseball fans. It is atrocious that they're playing there. But you can't allow your number one prospect, your franchise player over the next six or seven years to struggle at home. I think a lot about Austin Meadows. I think a lot about Randy Arena. You know, if they were to be asked the same question, if we were to look at their splits, which is something I want to do before we get into our first half recap next week, I want to see where this struggle is because we're seeing an, un- an unbelievable performance by Adamas in Milwaukee. He's betting 280 since he came over to Milwaukee. It's a 176 he was hitting in Tampa Bay. I mean, you're talking about over 100 points on his batting average. That can't just be one player can't see the ball well. You know what I mean? Like that's that can't be an anomaly. So I fully expect Wander Franco to figure it out. His counting stats, even if he were to hit 250 the rest of the season, are going to make him a guy you want in your, in your lineup. Um, and he's just not a 250 hitter. So we're going to move on. I'm going to talk about Ali Rutschman next, and then I'm going to get your opinion on him. I'm going to go ahead and read his overall stat line for us. And uh, he's had a pretty great year. So so he's been in A this season. He's hitting 288 with 11 home runs. He has 35 strikeouts to 40 walks, which is very impressive in 50 games. He is slugging 516. So, Richie, Adley Rutschman, the number one catching prospect, the number one overall pick. What are your thoughts? When's he coming up? And what do you expect from him over the first couple of years in the major leagues? Yeah, we've talked about this extensively on some of our past podcast so I don't think we're going to see him this year the Orioles are far and away in last place in that AL East and I don't see them rushing any of their prospects as we mentioned in our past podcast I think he moves up the ranks with Grayson Rodriguez I wouldn't be surprised to see both of them get moved to AAA sometime this year and then start out next year in AAA and then possibly depending on how they're doing in uh, AAA to start next year and where the Orioles are in the standings. I wouldn't be surprised if they call up both of them and see how they uh, pan out for the Orioles. But I think once he hits his stride in the majors, I think he'll be absolutely ready. I think this is an organization that waits on their prospects. Um, Ryan Mountcastle, when he got called up, there was talks um, across analysts that he should have been called up, you know, six months prior and that they were just sitting on him and he was ready and what are they waiting for? And it's a, you know, service time manipulation thing. I don't know if that's going to happen with Rutschman because at that point, the Orioles might be ready and in, in full rebuild. You know, that you got Cedric Mullins um, hitting well. So um, I do think he will um, be one of the highest uh, picked up players once he reaches the majors. Yeah, I think the Orioles are kind of a blueprint slash, you know, similar situation as what the uh, the Blue Jays were before they brought up Vladdy, before they brought up Bo, before they brought up Biggio. You know, they don't have the same like minor league depth that the Blue Jays did, but they have Rutschman. They have Rodriguez. They have some guys that are really going to come up and perform well. And I think you're about two or three years away from seeing a team that might be pressing in that division to be a little bit more talented than we expected. Uh, moving on, we have Spencer Torkelson. As we mentioned earlier, he has four home runs in Double A now. He's played in 15 games there, playing pretty well. His average isn't what it was in Single A. He's hitting 255 with 12 strikeouts to seven walks in those 15 games. He does have the four home runs, 11 RBIs. He's slugging 509. 
I am thoroughly impressed with Spencer Torkelson. Again, that swing is beautiful. His approach is great. We had kind of talked about him earlier in the year. Comps to the polar bear, Pete Alonzo, he's actually breaking that comp mold for me. Um, I'm seeing a much, much better player than I see in Pete Alonzo. Torkelson may not have that same prodigious power. Uh, he might hit 50 home runs, right? I really see Torkelson at his absolute cap, 35 to 40, uh, with a much better average than Pete Alonzo. I think this player is proving to be the number one pick that he was. I think we're going to see him by age 22. I think we're going to see him very similar to Freddie Freeman, a guy that just continues to be consistent, continues to be put in all-star games, um, and is going to really lead this offense for Detroit. What are your first initial thoughts now that he's in double-A, and what are you kind of thinking for a comp moving forward? Yeah, I think I'm somewhere in between um, with you. I think he's got a little more power than you were uh, suggesting. I think he can be that 40 to 50 homer type guy. Um, Looking at just the grades that MLB gave him, a 70 grade on the power, which is rare. I almost never see them give anybody more than a 60, regardless of how big and jacked they are. Um, I don't think I've ever seen an 80, if I'm being completely honest. But I don't think he's going to be, you know, that 290 to 300 hitter that Freddie Freeman is. But I do think he'll be better than Pete Alonso. Wouldn't be surprised to see him consistently sit in that 270, 275 range, which is still good if you're getting, you know, 40 to 50 home runs. Um, absolute stud. I mean, not much more to say about it. We talk about him on almost every other podcast of what he's doing and how many home runs he's hit for the week. So um, somebody will talk about in the future, but well, not much more to say than he's a bona fide stud. And he passes the eye test. You know, we're going to talk about Jared Kelnick here next. And Jared Kelnick still looks like a minor leaguer when he is, you know, in the major leagues. He's still a little bit you know, smaller in terms of body size. He has that height, which you can't change. Spencer Torkelson, when he was rounding the bases on his last home run, he's just a professional baseball player out there. He's a man among boys. And that eye test, you know, doesn't often relate back to scouting anymore, but to me it does. Spencer Torkelson is ready for the next level. He doesn't need to put on 20 pounds after being drafted. He doesn't need to continue to work on strength training to become the best player he can be. He just needs to continue to develop and continue to grow his baseball ability. But that brings us to Jared Kelnick. Jared Kelnick obviously made his major league debut earlier in the season. It did not go as planned, much like Franco's is going, but he is back in the minor leagues now. So his AAA stat line is 26 games. He has eight home runs and he's batting 306. These are the numbers we expect from Kelnick. Um, Just to give you a little bit of a snapshot, his Seattle debut is 23 games. He had a slug of uh, .193 and an average of .096. It was truly atrocious. He had 26 strikeouts to eight walks. It looks like he was just overmatched. Now, we did see that from Mike Trout in his initial bring-up, what was eight or nine years ago. Um, Richie, what are your thoughts on Kelnick rest of season and going into 2022? Yeah, absolutely. Another guy we talked about in the past, I think he just felt the pressure of putting the team on his back. And as we've mentioned before, or since going back down to AAA, he's just been killing it. I think we taught here an update about how he's got a multi-hit or a home run, and he just looks comfortable at the plate. I think when he gets called back up, I think they will wait. Um, but I think when that time happens, I think he'll be ready. I think he'll be cool, calm, and kind of have that chip on his shoulder of, hey, these guys didn't think I was good enough before. I'm going to prove them right this time. 
Yeah, and you know, this isn't a team that is in desperate need of him. Um, similar to Wander Franco, right? Wander Franco is playing for a team that's fighting for a playoff appearance. He's fighting for a team that's trying to win a division. There's a lot more stress that you place on yourself as a player when you know that you are a critical uh, clog in that machine and when you know that your expectations are so high. Jared Kelnick has the ability to develop this season, get his cup of coffee, really refine his skills. When he comes back up, hopefully he can take a step back from that stress and just say, hey, I just need to perform. I just need to get myself ready for 2022 when this entire team is going to start to fill out. So it'll be interesting to monitor him the rest of the second half. I think for Dynasty owners, you know, you just sit back. You take a deep breath. You wait till 2022 to really assess, is this a player that you want to make a franchise cornerstone in your dynasty, or is he a guy that you want to look to trade before that value runs out? You know, Richie and I, we both sp- uh, spoke about Gavin Lux before we started recording today. He's a player I actually just dropped in a dynasty league for Willie Adamas because I sat too long on him. I wasn't willing to trade him. I really, really waited it out. I do not expect Kelnick to have those same in- uh, issues, but they are from Wisconsin, so they could both suck eventually, you know? moving on we are going to now talk about our number five prospect another seattle mariner who is playing at a great level so we have julio rodriguez who was just brought up to double a as we had forementioned earlier he did hit his first double a home run he has played in four games so far has one home run and is batting 429 which is really nice to see his high a numbers 28 games he had six home runs he was batting 325 We're talking about an incredible average. We're talking about an incredible hitter. Um, Julio Rodriguez, Richie, a guy that you had rostered in a dynasty league, a guy that you had dropped after the broken wrist. What are you thinking for comps for Julio Rodriguez, and when do you think we see him in the major leagues? Yeah, this is a guy I've been super high on, somebody I've... Dare I say, I think he could be the next Ronald Acuna, um, just with a little less speed. Um, This is a guy who I think has been overshadowed by Jared Kelnick. I wouldn't be surprised if it's kind of that Bryce Harper, Mike Trout comparison between him and Kelnick, where uh, Kelnick is Harper and Rodriguez is Trout, where he's overshadowed by Harper to begin with, but actually he's the better player as terms of average, home run, speed, all of that. He's got the intangible. Somebody I've been super high on and I felt like everybody's been sleeping on the past two years. Now he's on everybody's radar. As you mentioned, I did drop him last year after he broke his right wrist, but I did drop him for Corbin Burns, so I would still do that today. Um, but I was worried, wasn't going to see him, knew that was going to prolong his debut. Um, but I am pleased to see what he's doing since that has occurred. I mean, just starting in Double A, he's got four games. He is batting 429, so it's a, a smaller sample size. But even when he was in high A, he was batting 325 and had six homers in the span of 28 games. So that is extremely good to see that he has that average. He still has that home run ability, um, even after breaking the wrist. Sometimes you see these guys and it affects them and they can't get over it. But if I had to give a comp, I'd say somewhere in that Acuna Tatis you know, that top 10 bona fide stud range. Yeah, I, th- I think that's I think it's fair. I think that's his ceiling for sure. Um, I, I, I agree with you. I wouldn't put the names of Harper and Trout on him, but I think it's a great metaphor slash comparison, right? Because Well, I wasn't, I wasn't putting that in there. I was more so the comps of, you know, 10 years ago when Correct. Harper and Trout were coming up, they were getting talked about together. I think we're going to see that a lot with Rodriguez and Kelnick, especially being on the same team, same position. And I think, you know, Rodriguez is going to have that, that trout shadow 
um, but he's actually the better player. So not necessarily comps to those players. Sure, sure. Well, and I agree with you. I don't think Jared Kelnick is anything anything truly special. I think he's a guy that's going to hit 300, might anywhere from 15 to 22 home runs, you know, might drive in 80 to 100 RBIs. Like, that's a, that's a good player, don't get me wrong, but Brian Reynolds right now is on pace for that. So, you know, we're hyping up Jared Kelnick because the Mets made that trade, right? I think that was the biggest thing as to why prospect boards and analysts really look at Jared Kelnick as this really shiny piece of gold is because he had that that comp to New York, right? It was like this is a guy that the Mets could have had. Julio Rodriguez, in both of our minds, is the far superior player. I have him as a floor of Marcelo Zuno and an absolute ceiling of Ronald Acuna like you do. I, I do think that he's going to come out of the gates and be an absolute polished superstar. Probably the next call-up that's going to perform like Juan Soto or Acuna did, where he's going to come out of the gates and he's going to hit you 280 to 300 and he's going to have power, right? Kelnick didn't do that, and I don't expect Kelnick to ever be that player. But the only concern I have for Rodriguez is the fact that he plays in Seattle. Those those fences, even though they've brought them in, are still making that a bigger ballpark. But with this kid's power, it's prodigious. He should be able to hit the ball out of any park. Uh, it'll just be interesting to see how his numbers are affected by playing in a little bit larger of a park. But Julio Rodriguez, I think, for me, is probably my number one prospect now that Wander Franco is in the major leagues. Adelaide Rutschman, being a catcher, is going to have playing concerns. Spencer Torkelson is still about a year away. Doesn't show the hit tool that Rodriguez does. And obviously, Kelnick, as we just talked about, is not Rodriguez. So Julio is my number one fantasy prospect. If he's out there in dynasty leagues or you can acquire him, I think you absolutely have to do it. And again, Richie, you said it right on the head, like that wrist injury, most players do not come back the same from those wrist injuries. Rodriguez has actually performing at a higher clip. Um, it's very impressive. Moving on. Yeah, the only thing I would say is the only person who might fight over a number one is Torkelson. Right now, I'd probably give Torkelson the edge, but we'll see what happens by the end of the year. Yeah, and I think both of these players are going to be superstars. I just I, I like what you said about Rodriguez. I think his ability to hit the ball for average is a little bit better than Torkelson. I think Torkelson's power might be a little bit better than Rodriguez, so you have two grades that are kind of like competing with each other. But these two guys are definitely like 1-2, and then everybody else is below them. Moving on, our next player is not performing well, <laughs> and this is someone that I think we both want to talk about for a little bit. This is Mackenzie Gore. So Mackenzie Gore is pitching in AAA El Paso this season. He's 0-2 with a 5-8-5 ERA. He's pitched in six games. He has 20 innings. In those 20 innings, he's given up 24 hits, three home runs. He's had 12 walks to 18 strikeouts. Opponents are batting 289 off him. His whip is at a 1-8. Not good. What are your thoughts? Like, What are we looking at? Is it the fact that he's pitching in El Paso? Is it the higher elevation? You know, like we expected Gore to be up at this time of the year, you know, either in a bullpen role or in the rotation. And these numbers are a lot like Manning in Detroit. They're kind of scary. Yeah, I wasn't there. I can't remember if it was the beginning of the year or last year. Didn't he have a, a shoulder injury, which uh, was lingering for a while i'm wondering if it, this is injury related he's just not right but some previous reports where he just could not locate his pitches he's having trouble finding the zone and i'm wondering if he just doesn't have a good feel for his pitches personally i have not seen any of his starts this year so i can't say what that's attributed to is he just kind of you know letting fastballs right down the middle is he can't paint the corners um but it is kind of disappointing to see he does have 
12 walks in those 20 innings when he had only 28 in 101 innings in 2019. Um, so that is concerning, especially since he did have a 1.69 ERA all the way um, throughout the minors um, in 2019. So, I mean, it is concerning. I don't think we're going to see him, especially with the Padres having issues with the rotation. They sent Ryan Weathers down to get stretched out to be a starter. Um, you know, I just, I don't think we're going to see him this year. I wouldn't be surprised if he falls outside of the top 10 prospects this time next year, and we don't see him even next year, especially with the Padres getting Mike Clevenger back from Tommy John. Um, it's kind of a forgotten name. So their bullpen, or their, not their bullpen, but their rotation will get stronger next year. Yeah, I'm starting to really see some similarities between Mackenzie Gore and Forrest Whitley. This was kind of something we talked about on last podcast. Um, and my concern with Gore is that he's been this guy on high prospect boards for a while, much like Forrest Whitley was. They've kept him in the minor leagues. His numbers are starting to fall. He has had that injury with the shoulder, as you mentioned. These were all very similar comps to Whitley right like they didn't bring him up quick enough and he gets hurt and then he can't find it and all of a sudden you're looking at a guy that was top 10 falling out of the top 10 now he's falling out of the top 30 now he has a significant injury because he's either over pitching and trying to get back to form I'm concerned that Mackenzie Gore may fall into that same classification wait and see we'll see how the rest of this year goes he's only pitched in six games which for most of our minor leaguers, is very uh, short circumstantial um, right now. I, th I feel like there must have been an injury there as well. Mackenzie Gore, though, you know, not the guy that we thought he'd be. He is currently rostered in one of my dynasty leagues as my one untouchable player, my NA player, and I'm starting to think that I'm just going to drop him because, for the most part, I, I don't have the roster space to continue to roster him and Torkelson, and he's not showing me the same ability that some of these other guys are, like Manoa was earlier in the season or Logan Gilbert. You know, he's not performing at that elite level. So keep an eye on him. We are going to be moving along to a very exciting overproduction from me and you state of point. We're talking about Bobby Witt. You know, we had talked about him earlier in the season as not this player that he has performed at. He's been playing at double A, 49 games. His slugging is 535. So he's slugging actually more than Torkelson is at double A. He's got 12 home runs, 39 RBIs, 20 walks to 56 strikeouts. The strikeouts are a little concerning to me. He has stolen 13 bags and he's batting 290. Overall, an incredible slash line. Again, only thing that concerns me is the strikeouts. Um, Richie, what are you thinking of Witt so far? Again, we've talked about him at length. Yeah, I won't talk too much because we have talked about him, but I'm still just surprised with his home run ability. He's got 12 this year compared to only one went in 37 games in rookie ball in 2019. As uh, we've mentioned before, we don't have any 2020 stats with that alternative training site, so that's probably when he developed his power. You know, maybe he just hit the weights or figured out a stroke. Um, I don't know what it is, but... He definitely surprised me. This was a guy I was thinking was going to be kind of like some of the, the next players we're going to talk about where they're going to hit for average but not have any power and just kind of be those, you know, those pure baseball players, not necessarily for fantasy is concerned. Um, but when we look at these top prospects, they also take defense into account, which he's definitely good at. I wouldn't be surprised if we see him by the end of the year now based on how he's performing. Um, but it very well could be uh, this time next year as I wouldn't be surprised if he's a top three uh, on the prospect list. 
Yeah, and that's a good segue into our final three prospects. Um, C.J. Abrams is going to come in at number eight. As you said, the Major League Baseball uh, top 10, top 100 prospects is not from a fantasy perspective. It is for a baseball perspective. So defense does fall into this. C.J. Abrams was drafted as an extremely fast, glove-gifted player. I remember that draft that he was taking and thought to myself, well, good goodness gracious, San Diego's already got Tatis. But they had said C.J. Abrams could find his home in center field in the major leagues. He's actually performing at a little bit better rate with the bat than I expected. He's in double-A this season. He has 42 games. He's batting 296, 13 stolen bases, only two home runs. But again, he's not a power hitter, at least yet. He does have 36 strikeouts to 15 walks. His on-base percentage is 363, so pretty respectable. Um, C.J. Abrams, though, you know, for a guy that's, you know, defense first, I wouldn't be surprised next year once he hits AAA to start seeing more of that offensive profile really start to blossom. What are your thoughts of Abram from a uh, fantasy perspective? Yeah, unless I'm playing in a Roto or Categories League where I need speed, I don't think he's worth rostering, especially in points leagues. Um, that average is nice. I just don't see him being more than just a guy, especially if he gets moved to the outfield because there's nowhere for him to play at short um, in San Diego, especially after Tatis signed that long-term deal. I wouldn't be surprised if we see him actually traded from the Padres for something else. I think his ceiling is high. And you don't know what you're going to get yet. So I think this would be the prime time for the Padres to sell him off to acquire um, a big-time bat or pitcher um, at the deadline this year. So somebody I'm keeping an eye on. And that's just, there's no rhyme or reason, no rumors. That's just something I'm manifesting into the universe. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I mean, it's hard this year, right? A lot of teams are in it. And I was actually speaking about this on a different podcast this week. Max Scherzer was my number one move at the deadline. And the Washington Nationals are slowly climbing their way back into, you know, possible contention. The Mets, obviously leading that division, are known for absolutely blowing and tanking things at the end of the year. You have Steven Strasburg coming back eventually. We don't know what kind of production you're going to get out of him. It's definitely an injury-ridden season for him. But I think the big name on the market, if the Nationals are willing to move anybody, would be Scherzer. His contract ends at the end of the season. If there's value to get and they feel like you know they can't make a playoff push, if they feel like Strasburg's not going to be healthy enough to pair him with Scherzer, I think a C.J. Abrams package for Max Scherzer would be absolutely explosive for San Diego. You would talk about then going up against the Dodgers without Trevor Bauer in the playoffs, presumably, with Scherzer and Darvish, right? Unbelievable pairing. You've got two of the best pitchers, top five, top ten in the National League. It'd be very hard for the Giants or the Dodgers or the Brewers to really match up with them. But, man, C.J. Abrams is such a high talent. I think you would have to get the best pitcher on the, on the market. Um, and it's just going to come down to are the Nationals willing to move Scherzer? Do you think there's any other names out there that would warrant a C.J. Abrams trade? Off the top of my head, I I can't think of any. Um, I haven't really thought about potential trades for C.J. Abrams until just now when I brought it up on this podcast. But uh, maybe I'll brainstorm and get back to you on our next podcast, and we can let the listeners know um, something that we could um, bring up for uh, this MLB team's 
Yeah. We'll be consult. We'll be uh, trading consultants for them. I'll be. How about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think we'll probably come in with a list of five to eight names, uh, possible trades and locations where they could go. Saw on Bleacher Report this past week, they had submit your trades, and there were some absolutely ludicrous offers out there. I think you and I have a pretty good standing as to what real major league trades look like, what they take to get done. We've also seen through the years multiple major league GMs make trades that we thought were absolutely ridiculous, and they gave away either far too less or far too uh, much. But moving on, we have two more players to touch on before we wrap this podcast up. Uh, Nate Pearson, last year's shining toy, or 2019 shining toy as well. Big time arm, very comparable to what Hunter Green has been doing. Definitely hasn't planned out the way we thought he would. So obviously had the injury last year, has come back. He's now pitching in the minor leagues. In AAA this season alone, he has a 4.74 ERA in six games, 24 and two-thirds innings. 18 hits, 11 walks to tw- uh, 36 strikeouts. So the strikeouts are still there. Uh, opponents are only batting 198 off him, and his whip is actually 118. His underlying numbers look really good. He may have just run into some hard luck losses. Um, what are your thoughts, and when do we see him in the major leagues? Because at some point, the Blue Jays are going to have to promote him. Yeah, I'm extremely scared for what his injury is he has a a right growing strain or tear or something um horrible um i actually have to give credit to the cbs guys they um said this week that he's getting a fifth opinion on his uh right growing um so the fact that they're having five medical opinions makes it sound like he's going to have to have some sort of major surgery that could put him out for a very long time so I don't know. I don't think we're going to see him anytime this year again or next year. Um, but that's just me kind of thinking the worst based on what we're hearing from him. I do think the stuff is real. I just think somebody who can throw over 100 miles an hour, we talk about this all the time, their just propensity to get injured is just so much higher. And I just don't think we'll ever see him have that ability to stay healthy. And I wouldn't be surprised if he turns into a bullpen role. But if he's a closer, man, I wouldn't be surprised if he's one of the best in the leagues. Reminds me a lot of Jabba Chamberlain. Um, Back when the Yankees had Chamberlain and Phil Hughes coming up through their system, both were pegged as big-time players. Chamberlain just couldn't stick in the rotation. He came up originally, I think, for a playoff run and was uh, was a bullpen arm. Same kind of thing. Chamberlain threw really hard. He ended up uh, being in that bullpen role. Um, Joel Zamaya for the Detroit Tigers when they were going for their World Series run, same thing, kind of uh, same arm. But Nate, just as you said, he he has the body where it's going to wear down. And I I didn't know that he was on a fifth opinion. I didn't even know that he had this this groin injury. Um, So thank you for that. Man, that sucks. Right. You had him coming up last year. We all thought really high things of him. Me and you both said, just wait till he gets hurt. He was rostered at the time by our co- or one of our co-league mates, Reed, who ended up pulling off a pretty nice trade. He got him off his roster before the injury bugs really caught up. And this is, I, I think, to the point that we're worried about Hunter Green. Right, You have this big-time arm, but as you said, the body can't hold up. And, and it's worked all of its way from the arm to the groin. And five opinions definitely is concerning. Um, we will monitor the situation as well. We are going to talk finally about Christian Pache. Again, top 10 for Major League Prospects, more because of his glove. You know, he, he drew comparisons to Andrew Jones, not because of the prodigious power, but because of that gold glove effect he has in center field. He has played a little bit with Atlanta this year, 22 games. He has hit 206, or excuse me, he's slugged 206. He's batted 111. Yikes. He does have one home run. 
He is back in AAA. He's at 21 games, slugging 389 with two home runs, but he's only batting 222. I think it's kind of funny. He's uh, just batting double what he does in the major leagues. Um, so I think this is a true case of he needs a long time to develop. Very similar profile to what I saw from Victor Robles in the major leagues. I don't really consider him a fantasy prospect. What do you think, Richie? Absolutely not. He's definitely uh, defensively ready for the majors. We've seen that in the playoffs uh, last year. Um, but like you said, he's going to struggle at the plate. Um, he didn't have good plate discipline to begin this year. Uh, two walks to 25 strikeouts. That's not good. Um, I think he needs to improve on that as well as getting the bat on the ball. If he can just be a 250 to 275 hitter and, you know, kind of get those uh, walkout to strikeout range, maybe um, in the two to one ratio, um, I think that would be good enough for him to, you know, stay in the majors. But I don't think it's going to be anything. Um, worth rostering outside of an NL only league. Yeah, and that's a good point. NL only leagues, um, really, really, really deep dynasty leagues. You could sit on them for a little bit longer. If there's still value there, I think you could definitely look to trade them. But that kind of brings us to our final segment of the episode. We're not going to spend too much time on this, but uh, Richie and I wanted to talk about former top prospects and also their production in the major leagues. We have four of our former top prospects now leading the league in all-star votes. We have Vlad Jr., Shohei Otani, Fernando Tatis. Wow, what a pairing. Um, Otani hit home run 30 last last night. Richie, he's been incredible this season. Let's start off with Otani. Obviously being signed, he was not a uh, top 100 prospect per se for years, but he was uh, very pedigreed coming into the major leagues. We're finally starting to see this incredible performance from him offensively. He did have a game this week where he gave up seven runs in the first inning to the Yankees. Uh, Velocity was actually up. Um, What are your thoughts on Otani for the rest of this season, next season? I mean, where are you placing him in drafts next season as a hitter and a pitcher? Yeah, Otani's been somebody that you and I have been excited about back when he was in Japan. Somebody we knew was being compared to as Babe Ruth. Um, and we just have been excited about him since coming over here. And the year he did come up and was in drafts, I knew I was extremely disappointed that neither you or I were going to be able to get him because one of our league mates found out how excited we were and um, pretty much stated that they would stop at nothing to acquire them so that we couldn't get them just to spite us which he ended up doing and then um actually that owner luckily uh sent me an a trade offer for Giancarlo Stanton at the beginning of the year and I uh graciously accepted it was the same day that um reports were coming out that he was hitting 100 miles an hour in spring training and um that Joe Madden wasn't going to sit him uh the day before and day after that and uh, we all knew that he was somebody that needed to continue playing in order to get going. If you keep sitting him, resting him, he gets cold and he can't figure it out. Um, but to answer your question, I think this is somebody we're going to see drafted in the top one or two rounds of drafts next year, um, especially as a hitter. Um, if he is a two-way player, if there's only one Otani in your league, and it's a pitcher and a batter. I still think the same thing um, will happen. If in your league they acquire batting and pitching 
um, stats, regardless of where they're playing. I wouldn't be surprised if he's the number one overall player in that league. Um, we play primarily in ESPN, and that does not happen. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he goes in that uh, top 10 to 15 as a hitter. Um, he does have five outfield appearances. I believe in ESPN, you need 10 to carry over the position eligibility. So if that happens for Otani and he's outfield eligible, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a top five to 10 overall hitter next year. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I ever expected Otani to lead the league in home runs going into the all-star break. We still have about a week, a little, little more than a week, uh, before we get to that all-star game. But 30 home runs, I mean, he could realistically hit 50 this season. I, I think this team has, is going to find through the rest of this season that Otani's bat is so valuable that whether he gives up seven runs or he pitches six innings with one run, you know, he is one of the best bats in this league. I would say at this point he's the most dangerous bat in the league. Vlad Jr. obviously playing very well as well. Tatis, Acuna, Otani, night in and night out, is making an impact in that lineup, much like Vlad is. And then you add the fact that he can be on the mound. I fully expect without injury, Otani to go number one next season in redraft leagues. I think he is showing the fact that his counting stats is incredible. His home runs are incredible. And we have to remember, Trout isn't even in the, in the lineup right now. Otani has reached this level of legendary status over the last couple months without Mike Trout even being there to help or protect him. Um, the next guy I want to talk on is Vlad Jr. Obviously, he's performing at an all-star rate. He is the number one vote-getter. Uh, his dad sent out a nice little tweet this week to congratulate him. Rest of season, obviously, we kind of know to expect the same from him. Same thing from Tatis. So to kind of wrap up this podcast, Richie, you have the number one overall pick next season. Are you taking Vlad Jr., Otani, Tatis, or Acuna? Well, emotionally speaking, I'm taking Acuna. Um, he's my boy. Wow. He always will be. Um, but if I were to put that aside, depending on what league I'm playing in, I might take Otani number one overall. I'm definitely straying away from Tatis just for the simple fact of there's so many great shortstops and these other positions. Um, there's, in my opinion, there's a big drop off. Yes, there's great outfielders, but after like outfielder 20, it kind of drops off. And when you need three of them, at a minimum in points leagues and five of them in categories are roto having that stud there that anchor is huge um vlad at first base um that is definitely um a huge um position to fill right away but it's not warranted for first overall in my opinion so for the listener's perspective now we play in a weekly locked league so you cannot switch otani in from your hitter and your pitcher position um, but for those of you that can, in a similar format for Richie and I, Otani is 167 points above Acuna this season. So Richie's emotional attachment is definitely harboring heavy here. And so so let me restate. I was going under the assumption of weekly. Now, if we were talking about daily league where you can swap him out midweek and put him in for a pitcher, um, then instantly Otani number one. So if we continue in BAMS League next year with our rapist Bauer on our roster, we are going to keep Otani Otani as our pitcher keeper, correct? Uh, Is that possible? I don't know if we... We'll find uh, out. So it's a loophole. Um, But that is going to wrap our show for today. Next week, we have a really good show for you. It might be a longer show. We're going to go into a full first half recap 
We are going to talk about some of the trades that we may look to see midseason. Um, Richie and I are definitely excited for this show. It's going to be probably, again, our longest show of the year. Give you some of our biggest surprises, some of our biggest um, hits from our preseason expectations. But thank you for listening. We look forward to seeing you guys next time. Remember to follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts and look forward in the second half of the season for us being on Twitter pretty heavily. Thank you again. We'll see you guys next time. Take care, guys.